When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you don't have a clear curriculum for your classroom, it is so overwhelming to try to put that together yourself. Spending hours on Pinterest and Google, pulling worksheets and pulling pieces of curriculum together to make something that works for your classroom. That's why we created the Autism Helper Curriculum and now offer Curriculum Access. Curriculum Access gets you access to all levels and all subjects of the highly differentiated evidence-based Autism Helper Curriculum. You can have students working on letter identification and working on parts of speech at the same time in our easy-to-use curriculum. We currently have hundreds of teachers using Curriculum Access from all over the world with consistently rave reviews. I want you to join that group of teachers. Now is the time to ask your administrators for curriculum access. We have an email template ready to go so you can ask them to set up a demo. Your administrators can jump on a live call with our team members to see everything that's included in the Autism Helper curriculum access. Next year, let's reduce the overwhelm. Let's start the year out with a path and a plan and resources to meet all the diverse needs of your students. Let's make next year the year of curriculum access. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Step four of the classroom setup process is visuals. And this might not seem like something that needs its own step. This might seem like something that you can just add in afterwards. You can set up the structure of your classroom, do your schedules, make your tasks, and then worry about visuals later. But visuals are so important that we need to think about it during our classroom setup process because this is when you'll think about the visuals that you really need and how you'll be using them. If you set up your visuals as an afterthought after you've set up your whole classroom, then you start making some visuals. You're going to be likely to forget some important visuals that you need and you also might not set them up in a way where you can easily utilize them. If you print a whole big stack of beautiful, beautiful visuals and then leave them in your bottom file cabinet, How likely are you to use those on a daily basis? Pretty unlikely, right? You're not going to be in the middle of a situation where you need a visual and be like, hold on, honey, can you you wait on that meltdown? Because I've got the perfect visual that would help you. Let me go grab it from my desk. Yeah, right. You want that visual right there when you need it so you can actually use it in those scenarios. So I think that considering the use of visuals and what visuals we're making them and where we're storing them while we're setting up our classroom will ensure that we have all the visuals that we need and we know how to use them. 
This is not my first podcast episode on visuals. Episode 16 is titled How Visuals Lead to Independence, which to be honest, I thought was not an exciting title because everyone in the special ed world is like, okay, visuals, I get it. But I put in the title, hint, there's more to it than you think. Because I think that visuals are something that we just print and go and throw on the walls or throw in our drawers and we kind of forget about really how important they are. And we just get into a routine of setting up the same visuals every year or printing the same visuals without thinking about why we're using them and making sure that we have specific visuals for what we need. You might have a lot of visuals in your classroom right now that you don't really use. And you might want to pack those up for another year with another group of students who have different needs. Having out the visuals only that you need for your current caseload will ensure that you actually grab them. If you have a pile of visuals on your desk or a bunch Velcroed to the wall, it's going to be harder to find that one that you need and harder for your students to find the visuals that they need if there's too many. So this process about thinking about the visuals we need is important to make sure that we have the ones that we want and we don't have the ones that we don't need. So because I love a list or a checklist, we're going to break this up into four steps for the setup process of visuals. First, we're going to talk about using visuals to label. Next, we're going to talk about using visuals to support our directives that we give. Third, we're going to talk about using visuals to show the order of events or routines. No, not daily schedules. There's more to it than that. Number four, using visuals for behavior and academics. Then the final piece is how to use these visuals. Just like our schedules, these tools are not magic wands. You need to do two important things. You need to teach your staff how to use these visuals with your students, and then you and your staff need to teach your students how to use the visuals. They will not innately know how to utilize these tools. These are tools, remember that, and we need to be taught how to use tools. If someone gave me a power saw right now, which is that even a tool? I think that's a tool, right? A power saw, I would not know how to use it. I'd probably chop my arm off. Someone could teach me how to use it and then I would know how to use it. So think about it in the same way with these strategies that we talk about. We have to teach our kids how to utilize these tools. Number one, using visuals to label. So we already talked about this in our schedule step. If you are using visual schedules in your classroom, you will be labeling all of the areas and centers of your class with some type of visual because it will have to match the little schedule piece. So even if you don't have students that use visual schedules, I still recommend labeling the areas of your classroom. If you have a group that is all readers, you can even label it with just text. You just want to make sure that everyone knows what every part of the classroom is. If you say, hey, go over to your independent work centers, what does that mean? Is that your student's desk or is that the table by the task bins? If you say, go to the technology center, is that by the smart board or by the iPads or by the computer? So label every area of your class, one, so your students know where to go, but also for when your staff knows where to go. 
Think about how many different staff members you have in your classroom. You might likely have your assistants and clinicians, but then you have, you know, new people like substitutes or uh, an administrator that comes in to see something, people that might be helping with your class, like volunteers. And if you say, hey, can you go over to factory work? You want those adults to know where the factory work center is as well. So first label all of the areas of your class. Then you want to label all of your supplies. So where glue sticks go, where pencils go, where the puzzles are, go through the process to really label everything. It doesn't need to be cute. It doesn't need to be matching. Yes, I love a good matching label, but it doesn't need to be matching to be functional. The key here is putting away everything in the right place. Organization means that you have a spot for everything to go and you have a process for putting all of those things in their spot. An organized classroom is essential for a successful classroom. And I don't mean that because it looks prettier, but I mean that because you can more easily find the things that you need when you need them. So you will be more likely to be successful because you can find your stuff. We also as special ed teachers tend to have a lot of stuff because we're teaching a lot of grade levels. We need the fraction worksheets and the color worksheets and the pronoun worksheets and the first grade sight words. We're all over the place with the range of needs of our students. So because we have way more stuff, we need to be way more meticulous about our organization systems. So take the time to put everything in a spot especially in the start of the year, this is the best time to do it. Make sure everything has a home and then label that home because you do not want to be staying at school till eight o'clock at night, cleaning up your classroom every day. And you also don't want to be doing the like, quick and dirty cleanup that I like to call it. You know, like when you're having people over at your house and you're running late and all of a sudden you just start shoving stuff in closets and drawers so it looks nice on the outside, but if someone were to open up one of your drawers, it would be a hot mess in there. You don't want to fall into that trap either because you will have a huge, huge mess on your hands in a few short weeks or months. So you want to have a home for everything and then have everything able to go back in its home. Spending time labeling your supplies with a picture and a word or even just a word is great because it will teach your students to clean up, which cleanup is not a preschool skill. This is an essential life skill. Everyone needs to know how to put their stuff away. That's part of every job. That's part of about that's part of living independently. That is an essential life skill. Find me a job where you don't have to put things away after you use them. Every job, you have to do that. So really think about incorporating that into the days of your students, that after they use materials, they have to put them back. And also, you want your staff to be able to put things away correctly. We None of us, like I said, want to stay here till 7 or 8 o'clock at night just cleaning everything up. So make sure that your staff know how to put everything back. Clinicians that are coming in and out of your classroom know where materials go. And it will be a team effort. You won't be doing this on your own. The next thing that you want to label are your work tasks and activities. So like I just mentioned, we have a lot of stuff in our classroom and we might have a really wide range of materials because our kids might be working on grade level concepts from preschool through fifth grade. So first off, 
put away the materials that you are not using right now. If you are blessed with a closet, fill up that closet. If not, buy those big, huge Tupperware bins and load up the materials that your current group does not need. If you don't have any kids that are working on multiplication right now, cool. Put those multiplication centers, activities, worksheets away. You want to be able to find the things you need when you need them. I know we have all been in this scenario that when you're packing up your classroom at the end of the year or you're unpacking your class in the start of the year, you find materials that you, one, forgot you made, and two, could have used and didn't. It's the most infuriating thing. You're like, oh my gosh, this worksheet or this file folder would have been perfect for Johnny, but I totally forgot I made it. Or even worse, you've recreated the same material because you didn't know you made it already. So first off, put away what you're not using. And then with the current set of materials that you have out, do the same thing as your supplies. Find a home for everything and then label all of those things. If you have adapted books, put easy adapted books, category adapted books, themed adapted books. If you have sets of worksheets, have a system, a filing system, a binder system, some way to find worksheets when you need them. Then you want to start labeling things with students' names. And I really, really recommend finding opportunities to label parts of your classrooms with students' names that are movable. And so what I mean by that is when we have students' names labeled on things, like let's say lockers or hooks, right? The first locker is Johnny's, the next is Alex's, the third is Allison's. We might think, oh, Johnny does know how to identify his name because he always goes to his locker, Well, guess what? If you were to switch up those name name tags, he would start probably going to Alex's locker if that was the first one. He doesn't know his name. He just knows where his locker is. He just knows what his lunchbox looks like. He knows that he always sits in this spot on the table, so that's where the worksheet with his name is. So look for opportunities like bins for books folders, binders, things that are moved around. The binder stack is always in a different order. The um, the bin for the work tasks is always in a different spot and they have to go find their name and work on name identification if you have kids that need to work on that in a functional way. Because guess what? When Johnny has a job, he's going to go have to find his time card and punch in or find his name on a schedule and it's going to always be in a different spot. So we don't want just getting in that routine of rote memorizing something. So as you can see, even as we start to go through this first step of using visuals in this using visuals to label, there's so many components that you're thinking about right now in your classroom setup process, such as where am I putting supplies, where am I putting, you know, students quiet reading books, that adding that visual layer in right now makes sense. And you'll start thinking about visuals in a really purposeful way. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Number two, use visuals to support directives that we give. So we as teachers are mini drill sergeants. We just love to talk. We just love to tell people what to do. I challenge a lot of my teachers later in the school year, especially in like in the in the winter and in the spring, to count how many step directions do you give to your students? And teachers will tell me like, oh, I, I give like two to three step directions, no more, because, you know, I know my students, um, you know, struggle with receptive language processing. I'm not giving more than two or three steps at a time. And then the next day they go and count and they come back and they're like, oh my gosh, Sasha, I gave a nine step direction. And we don't mean to, but as the year goes on, we just keep talking. We say, okay, Johnny, come on in from lunch, sit down, open your book to page 17, do the first two questions, and then get started on the comprehension questions over on this worksheet. And when you're done, raise your hand. Poor Johnny cannot keep up. He was trying to process, come in and sit down while you were ready on the comprehension questions. So then when you come back over and you're like, Johnny, you didn't get anything started. What's going on? He was too busy processing your first step of saying, come on in and sit down, come on in and sit down, come on in and sit down. He's like, cool. I came in, I sat down, I'm ready to go. And he doesn't know what to do next because he couldn't keep up. A lot of kids struggle with receptive language processing. It's just too much language. We talk too much. We give too many steps in our directions and our kids can't go through the process of hearing, understanding, and then completing that task all at the same time while we're giving those steps in such rapid succession. So we want to look at how we can use visuals to support all of this verbal language that we're using in our classrooms. So think about making visuals that will support the things that you commonly say. Make visuals that will show where to find your book. So if Johnny came in and in that scenario that I talked about, you said, come in and sit down and open up your book to page 17. And he was thinking, come in and sit down, come in and sit down, come in and sit down. By the time he processed that step, maybe there was a dry erase board on the table that said page 17, do numbers one through two, answer comprehension questions. Text is a visual. That text right there is going to tell him what to do. You could pair that with actual pictures, clip art, things that that you commonly need. So when you're going through your process of setting up the different parts of your room, Think about what you will be saying in each area. When kids get on the computer, are you going to be telling them how to log in? If they are going to a certain, you know, website that you use or certain software that you use, can you set up a screenshot visual task analysis of how to log in? So you don't need to say, hey, everyone, go to starfall.com, put your login, put your name, go to this page. Instead, can you create a mini step of visual picture? to show how to do that. So really start to think about that in every area of your classroom, how you can add these visuals in. I love having a set of visuals that for things that we commonly say that we carry around with us. Um, You've probably seen this a lot on my website. A lot of teachers use those, but like a little mini 
um, you know, two by two card that has common visuals of sit down, stand up, good job, wait a minute, things like that, that you can put on your lanyard, on your belt, on your clipboard. So when you're not in the classroom, you have access to those. When you're on the playground, when you're in the hallway, or even when you're in your classroom, you can just grab those right away of telling someone to stop or selling someone to wait instead of just relying on that verbal language, you can have the visual to back that up. Number three, use visuals to show the order of events and routines. So I don't mean our daily schedules here. Step two, we talked all about student schedules, but beyond just that overall daily schedule, there are so many embedded routines and mini sets of activities that will occur in a specific order that we want to make sure our kids can comprehend and complete as independently as possible. So I think of this category as mini schedules and mini sets of routines. So think about your school day. Think about something like the process of going to lunch. That might be a hard time for you and your students because there's a lot of specific activities and behaviors that have to occur in a specific order. When you say lunchtime, two minutes later, there is not pizza in people's mouths, right? There are certain steps you have to go through. You have to line up. You have to walk to the cafeteria. You have to wait in line at the cafeteria. You have to give your lunch request. You have to grab your tray. You have to walk with your tray to the table. Then you have to sit. Then you can eat pizza. There are specific steps that are required. And if we are only relying on our verbal language for all of those steps, it's no wonder that our kids are confused because that was a lot of steps in there. And that was a lot of language if I was just talking about how to do that, that if Johnny is new to this school or new to this classroom or struggles with routines, even if they are familiar, he's going to be like, you said it's lunchtime. Where's my pizza? Why do I have to do all of these other things? Maybe you stop at the bathroom before lunch. Maybe you go to recess, then lunch. That's making it even more complicated. And this is for something pretty simple. A lunch routine is pretty, is pretty, isn't, you know, super complicated or anything. So think about things like that are more advanced, like circle time or your guided reading group. There's a lot of activities in those centers. I have sat through some amazing preschool, kindergarten, first grade circle times. Teachers cram in so many great activities, so many opportunities for engagement and learning. It's really amazing. But from a kid's perspective, they're thinking, oh my God, How many more songs are we doing? How much longer do I have to sit here? When is this over? I love adding in a mini schedule for circle time to show exactly which activities are coming and then having even like our visual schedules that we talked about in step two, removing each picture as we're done. I've set those up in a lot of gen ed rooms and the response is always the same, which I absolutely love. The teacher will tell me, as we set it up for a child with autism that's included in the room who's struggling with the longer circle time, we set up that mini schedule and the teacher later is like, oh my gosh, do you know that all of the kids loved the mini schedule? This helped everyone. This made our circle time so much better and more efficient and more effective. This was great. 
I was like, I know, that's why I told you to do this. These strategies aren't special ed voodoo. These are just great best practices that will help a lot of learners, things like visuals, things like schedules. So think about group work, hygiene, circle time, where you can add in those mini schedules. With your older students who have more language, get creative and get really used to making novel schedules from just a piece of paper or a dry erase board. So that meaning when we sit down with your group for guided reading, we're going to say, okay, today we're going to read two chapters in our Harry Potter book. Um, Then we're going to do a worksheet and then we're going to do one writing activity. Then we're going to have a little bit of free reading time at the end. So instead of just verbally listing that out, write it down as you're saying all of those steps. Because remember, text is a visual. And if your student in that guiding guided reading group can't keep up with all of that language now he's going to have that list to refer back to and when I say these novel schedules these ones that you just write down and make up these are great because this is something that mom and dad can replicate at home this is something that a future employer can do at a workplace this is something that the next year's teacher can do there so something that can work in a lot of scenarios I also like lists within lists. So think about if you have a Saturday morning to yourself and you've got a ton of errands to get done. You likely have lists within your lists, right? Your list is probably like, okay, I'm going to go to the dry cleaners. I'm going to stop at the post office. I'm going to go to the grocery store. I'm going to go to Target. And then I'm going to go by my aunt's house. But you might also have a grocery list. You might also have a list of things you have to drop off and bring to your aunt's house. So think about adding those lists within lists for your learners too, especially your older guys. And learning to transition between these items in your mini schedule is key for your learners. So with your little guys, if you set up a mini schedule for playtime or for a reading group, having them start to transition alone and set up that next activity is great. That's why in independent work centers, I I really always advocate having multiple tasks. And the goal is that students can switch between the tasks on their own. Part of the process of doing an independent work center on your own is finding the activity you have to do, setting up the activity, completing the activity, putting away the activity, and then finding the next one and repeating that whole process. It's not just about doing the activity. It's about the transition as well, which is going to lead to a lot, a lot of great life skills and opportunities for independence. The last layer of this mini schedule component is looking at special events. I am super, super passionate about using visuals and schedules for special events because these are times when our kids need the strategies that work for them more than ever. My first few years teaching, I was really into doing class parties. I loved it. I wanted to make holidays special for my class, but oh my God, those were some of my most dreaded teaching days. I knew it was going to be a hot mess. I knew it was going to be horrible. I would come home from work and eat ice cream for dinner. I was so frustrated because I was pulling away every strategy that my kids needed. We threw the schedule out the window. We didn't have visuals. We didn't have routine. We didn't have structure. And then I gave them a whole mess of candy. No wonder it was crazy. Once I started adding those components back in, everything got so much better. We had a schedule for the party. There were visuals. It was structured. It was routine, just like their school day. So for things like class parties, field trips, special events at school like a pep rally, 
rely on visuals, whether it's a written list or using BoardMaker or Google Images, rely on these strategies even more heavily. Even if you think he doesn't need it, have it just in case. Because these new scenarios and these new situations are going to be harder than a regular Tuesday. So we always need a little extra help when things are harder. Number four, use visuals for behavior and academics. Often we think about visuals, we think about, you know, making them for the things I've already talked about, labeling the class, having a set on your necklace or on your clipboard, but get a little bit more advanced now and start to think about how you will be using visuals for things like behavioral needs in your classroom and then how you will be using visuals to teach academics. So when it comes to behavior, we first want to make sure we have great systems of reinforcement in our classrooms. So how are we showing our students that something awesome is coming? So what reinforcer they're getting and when they're getting it. So there's a lot of opportunities for differentiation and how this looks. This can be token boards. This can be first thens. This can be token economies, star charts, lots of options. But you want to look at the level of receptive language processing that your child has and make sure that if they struggle with processing verbal language, that you are using visuals to support all of this if-then contingency language you're giving them. So you are basically telling them, if you do this for me, then you will get this. So use visuals to support that have visual reinforcer menus for students to pick from. Because remember, reinforcers are individual to each student. You cannot just pick what they want. So have a list of commonly preferred items. Match those with visuals if students need them so they can select visuals. Another area that you want to make sure that you have visuals for is your classroom rules. So, so often we're telling our kids what they should and shouldn't be doing, but they don't know exactly what that means. So get specific. What are the expected choices? What are the unexpected choices? What are the good choices? What are the bad choices? I know sometimes the language of a bad choice is not um, desired in some schools or is not used in some classrooms. I obviously don't ever think telling a child that they are bad is a good idea, but I think that you can teach what a bad choice means. Because even if you aren't using the language of good and bad, that doesn't mean that nobody else in their life is using that language. So if Johnny's at Target and he's swinging on the shelves, or if his aunt comes over and babysits, they might be saying, hey, Johnny, that's bad. Don't do that. Don't do that bad thing. So I think that we want to make sure that our students know what bad means. What does a bad choice mean? So use visuals to support that. These are the good choices. These are the bad choices. Use visuals for your replacement behaviors. I have, I'm going to link a blog post about what a replacement behavior is because if I start talking about that, I promise I won't stop. But with even our students that have a lot of language, you might want to add a visual component to your replacement behavior because the replacement behavior for a negative response has to be easier than the negative behavior. So visuals are a great way to do that because it's a lot easier for some kids that engaging in some type of social or verbal interaction. 
So think about other ways to use visuals for behaviors like asking for a break or when there's an anticipated or unanticipated change coming in a routine. We want to make sure we really prepare our kids for these things and visuals can really help do that. So the last part is for academics. So when we are teaching new skills, we want to be relying on this same strategy that works in all of these other areas of our students' day using visuals. So look at things like anchor charts. I love, love, love using anchor charts. I love using anchor charts because students can use our the anchor charts without us. To me, anchor charts are like low-tech Google. If you don't know the answer to something, you don't freak out. You just Google it. You look it up and then you know the answer. That's what an anchor chart is. If Johnny doesn't know um, which letter is a vowel and which letter is a consonant, no problem. There's an anchor chart on the wall that says vowels and consonants, and he can reference that without needing us. Our job is to lose our jobs. And Johnny can now accomplish this activity without an adult, which is so amazing. You're going to lead to so much independence. So really rely on anchor charts, rely on visual task analysis or something that will break down the steps or the directions of an activity. Um, For more complex things like multi-digit math problems or writing a narrative, give examples. Examples will show how to accomplish that task that, hey, for your narrative, we need five paragraphs. A first paragraph would be this. The middle three paragraphs are going to have our details. A final paragraph is going to be a conclusion and have that all color coded, ready to go. So our kids can reference that to see what they're modeling it after. Even if it's just the text, that still is a visual that will show what those expected academic behaviors are. Okay, so this was a lot of information, and a lot of this likely wasn't new to you, but I think it's always helpful to have a little refresh, to really think about why you have the visuals that you have and how you're using them. So we don't get stuck in a routine of just creating the same things because that's what we always do, but really think about what's going to make a difference for each student. So we talked about using visuals to label our classroom, which has such an important purpose of helping keep our rooms organized and teaching our kids how to clean up. We talked about using visuals to support our verbal language. We give a lot of steps using only expressive verbal language, so we want to make sure we have visuals to support that. Next, we talked about creating mini schedules for common routines, showing changes for those special events and things like that. And then last, we talked about using visuals for behavior and for teaching academics and how important and impactful that can be. So the key with all of these visuals and why this is a specific step in the classroom setup process is you need to put them where you will be using them. I said at the start of this episode, if you print out a whole big set and you throw it in one in one folder of your desk or one drawer of your desk, you're never going to use it. You can check it off your list, but you're not going to actually be using these tools. So put them where you need them. Velcro things on the wall. Put things on the backs of shelves. Have it accessible. Have it out. So everyone, your whole team, your students, clinicians, can all see right where that visual is and right where it goes. I One of my favorite sets of visuals that I always think about creating for every classroom is a set of door visuals. 
And they actually have nothing to do with the door, but that's where I store them, either on the back of the door, right next to the door, somewhere like that. But it's all of the visuals that you will need outside of your classroom. So things like a lunch task analysis with visuals, things like a bathroom visual. If Johnny has to go to the bathroom really bad. Like he drank a huge, huge Gatorade on the way to school and he's got to go to the bathroom really bad. And his textbook is way at the other side of the classroom that has the bathroom visual, but he's really got to go. Where's he running? Is he running away from the door and to his textbook? Or is he running straight out the door to get to the bathroom as fast as he can? He's running straight out the door. And when kids run out the door of a classroom, um, in general, people freak out. So you better believe he's going to have a whole herd of people following him. But if there is a bathroom visual Velcroed right next to the door, as he's running to the door thinking, I got to go to the bathroom, he can grab that bathroom visual, hand it to a staff member, and he can go quickly. So think about everything you're going to need outside of your classroom. If you're struggling having your paraprofessionals take data in inclusion classes or in specials classes, Well, once they have their group nicely lined up, they're not going to be like, oh, okay, hold on, guys, real quick, stand here real nice. I'm going to go back over to the teacher desk and grab the data sheet. Yeah, right. Where would those kids be? They would be like on the playground or in the hallway, God knows where. But if the data sheet was Velcroed right next to the door, they could grab it and go and everything's ready to go. So really think about that. Having those visuals that you use commonly on a necklace, on a clipboard, or on a lanyard that you keep with you is great because you'll always have access to them. The key is ease of use. You want to have it right away. Then you need to teach your team about visuals. So whether your team has been with you for years and years or whether they are brand new to special ed, teach them that these visuals are a tool. Teach them that these visuals are not for decoration. They have a use and show them how to teach the students because the goal is that you and your staff members are teaching your students how to use the visuals. And you can't do this alone. So you need to teach your paraprofessionals how to teach your students to do this, right? So when you're looking at teaching your students, I use the example of me using a saw, that someone would have to show me and teach me how to use that tool. So think about all of these visuals you've created as a power tool. And we got to teach our kids how to use a power tool. You can't just pick up a power tool and know how to use it. So go through the process of modeling how to use the visual, fading the prompts, reminding your students when those visuals are going to be used, and really go through that process often and specifically. Don't just show them the first day of school like, hey, if you need a break, here's a break card. Every single time they sit down with you at guided reading, say like, hey, hey, Johnny, there's a break card right here. If you need it, grab it. Um, When I feel like I need a break, I grab it and I do it like this and show that. And this process of teaching how to use visuals is continuous. It's not one and done. It's something that you need to be doing the whole year. So visuals are important. They're so important that they got their very own step in my seven steps of classroom setup. So whether you are in the start of the school year setting up your classroom or you're listening to this in the middle of the year, go through and just rethink why you have visuals out and then think about what you expect of each student in every part of your classroom. Then think, how can I make 
and create visuals that would make this better for this student, that would make this student more independent and give this student more opportunities to communicate. And if you do that and reevaluate that in every area of your classroom, I'm really sure that you're going to find some great opportunities for more independence and more communication for each of your learners. Did you know that two out of three teachers turn to Teachers Pay Teachers for educational resources? As a seller on TPT, this makes me so excited. I love seeing educators turn to other educators for support in their classrooms. There are so many great resources on Teachers Pay Teachers. And this could be made even better if we could involve school budgets in this process. Enter TPT for Schools. TPT for Schools makes it easy for administrators and teachers to collaborate when making curricular decisions. TPT helps you set up a way of using school funds for these resources. This is a new program and there's already over 5,000 schools registered. In the special ed world, this is even more important because we don't have that many resources and the resources that are provided for us might not be so appropriate for our class. To learn more about TPT for Schools, visit schools.teacherspayteachers.com. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum. Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.